If you have your Bible today, you can open to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to walk through that chapter. Again, my name is Jeff Kennedy. I'm the uh, executive pastor of discipleship around here. And so what we want to look at today is a passage from Scripture, and I'm calling the title of this message, How to Live with Urgent Faith. How to Live with Urgent Faith. Um, I want to tell you a story about a young guy named John. John uh, was this super needy kid who just wanted people to love him. Before I tell you the story about John, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you this question. Okay? It's very serious. When I say the word parachute, what do you think of? What pops into your mind? Okay, yeah. For some of you a little bit older or maybe a little bit younger, when I say the word parachute, you see in your mind an undulating, disc-shaped uh, canopy that pops out of your backpack when you pull a ripcord and allows you to float to the ground safely. But for those of you who were raised in the 80s, that is not at all what pops into your mind. When I say the word parachute, this is what pops into your mind. Check it out. That's right. Some wicked, righteous parachute pants. A pair of nylon acrylic pants covered in asymmetrical zipper patterns. I never understood, like, what was the theory behind all the zippers? I guess in case you need to carry all your awesome stuff. You know, like your Prince Velcro wallet. I had one of those in eighth grade. Or your mini Rubik's Cube keychain. That's another one. Or your awesome white snake mixtape. Yeah, you could stick one of those in there, too. And so the story goes of John. Why is this relevant to John? Because John was this chubby kid at youth camp who would do anything, anything for people, for the other kids at youth camp to just pay attention to him. And one night after a very powerful campfire time with all the rest of the kids, about 40 or 50 kids broke off into their various conversations. Some of them were still singing songs and some of them were telling jokes. And some of John's friends dared him to jump over the campfire. And John was trying out. He was trying to get ready for the tryouts for the uh, cheer squad. And so he had been working on his front split, his aerial front split. So he did just that. He took a run and did this glorious, righteous aerial front split right over the campfire. And when he landed, the few friends that saw him do it erupted. They were like, no way. John did not just do that. Hey, everybody, hey, everybody, watch John. John, do it again. And so, oh, man, he was feeling that surge of awesomeness. And so he did it again. Bam, frontal split. He landed. And this time, all 50 kids around the campfire just lost their mind. They were like, no, that's so awesome. That's amazing. John, do it again. And as he was standing there just drinking in the adulation of his peers, some rotten kid behind him kicked the log into the fire and the flames just went higher, and the sparks flew up, and he turned just at that moment and did a, another one right over. Did I mention he was wearing uh, parachute pants? He had unzipped the legs. They were parachute shorts. But, man, right in midair, his parachute pants touched those flames, and it just looked like, you know that flash paper in a kid's magic kit? Just you know, like, whoa. And when he hit the ground, he was standing there in his smoldering whitey tidies. 
And you have never seen a kid move faster than John. And so here's the point today of the analogy. Here it is. Here's the big idea. A man on fire moves with urgency. And so we're talking about today being on fire in your relationship with God. The thing that I struggle with the most. And the reason why I'm preaching this sermon today is because the thing that I personally struggle with the most is staying enthusiastic about my faith. Having the same kind of enthusiasm about my faith that I had when I first came to the Lord. Remember it? Remember how exhilarating it was to discover these things for the first time. So I've discovered some tips, and I want to give them to you, not because they're cute, but because they're critical to living your life with an urgent faith. And here they are. The first one is this. If you have your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And the first one is, be enthusiastic about God's Word. Be enthusiastic about the Word Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. All the people gathered together in the plaza, which was in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So that was their Bible. It's called the Torah, the book of the law, which the Lord had commanded them to read from. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which included men and women and all those able to understand what they had heard. Look at verse 3. It says this. So he read it before the plaza in front of the water gate from dawn till noon. This was like, this was like an LDS church service, you know, like it was just that long. Sorry. And all the people were eager to hear from the book of the Torah. They read from the book of God's law, explaining it and imparting insight. Thus, the people gained understanding from what was read. To give you a little backstory, God had rescued these people from Egypt hundreds of years earlier. And he he brought them out of Egypt and he gave them this covenant charter called the Torah. The Torah was God's law. And he said, if you abide by this covenant, if you remain faithful to this covenant relationship, you will enjoy peace and security in your land for the rest of your days. But if you walk away from me, if you abandon your faith, and you are not faithful to this covenant charter, once again, you will become enslaved to a foreign power. So for hundreds of years prior to this thing called the exile, Hundreds of years, the prophets were constantly pleading. If you want to know what the prophetic books in the Old Testament are about, this is what they're about. The prophets are pleading with the people, please, don't be unfaithful to Yahweh. Don't be unfaithful to the covenant. And the people lapse. And they're unfaithful. And they worship other gods. They worship other idols. And God, through the prophets, pleads with them, come back. Or you're going into exile. Then the day comes when God has enough. So he allows a man from a kingdom called Babylon. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. And he allows this wicked, immoral, self-worshipping king to come down in Jerusalem. And first he, he lays siege to the northern kingdom and he takes it. And then he takes the southern kingdom. Their holy city is besieged. 
and their best and brightest, read the book of Daniel, are hauled off to Babylon. And what happens? Into exile they go. It's a national timeout. It's a national God taking them out to the woodshed moment in their history. And for almost 100 years, they were prisoners and exiled in this horrible pagan worshiping culture. And during this period, God promised. He promised that he was going to deliver them. In fact, if you look in this uh, promise called uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, we quote it for ourselves, but it wasn't for us. It was for them. And what it says is, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I know, I am aware of the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. You will not stay in exile forever. You're coming back. And so it gave these people hope. It gave these people a vision of their future. And God promises this to them. And this scripture we just read in Nehemiah 8, this is the day when they come back. After all those years, the people don't know anything. They don't know anything about their Bible. They are more biblically illiterate than the average American. They don't know anything about their covenant. All they know is they are the people of God, and God has let them come back into the land, and their walls and their temple and their temple cult system, all, the, all of it has been reconstituted. They are there legally. They are there because God has brought them there. And what do they do? They go and fish out this book, this giant scroll called the Torah, the book of Moses. And they fish out this giant book. It's even bigger than this NIV study Bible, if you can imagine that. And they unroll the scroll, and Ezra re-educates the people. He reads from Genesis to Deuteronomy, which was their Bible. And the people rejoice. They are filled with joy because they have rediscovered their covenant charter, their national constitution with God. And they're pumped, man. And so they're excited about the word. Sometimes I think the greatest barrier that you and I face when it comes to excitement about the word, sometimes I think it's the ubiquity of the word. What do I mean by that? I had to get one big word in. You can write that down. Look it up on dictionary.com later. It means the universality of it. It's everywhere. You can download the Bible in any language on a smartphone. You can have an entire theological library on your smartphone. You can have more Bible, access to Bible study tools than anyone has had in the history of the world on your smartphone, now on your smartwatch. And sometimes I think familiarity really does breed contempt. We just think, well, it's always going to be there. But these people didn't always have it. They didn't have it. And so they were excited to rediscover it. This, this happened to me when I first recommitted my life to the Lord. I was about uh, 15, somewhere in there. And I remember, man, somebody bought me. This is the Bible. I brought this one today because this is the one. This is it. This is the Bible that somebody bought me. And I did not even know at the time that there was any such thing as a new international version. I never even heard of that. I was like, what is that? Is that like some cultic version of the Bible? And they're like, no, dude, it's just a modern version in modern language. And I remember going through this Bible. This is the one. 
And I would sit for hours and just read it. I had no idea what I was even reading, but I was so pumped. I was so excited. And it had all these study tools. Like it had these introductions and backgrounds to books. And then it had like all these cross references in the middle and all these notes at the bottom. And then I would turn back and I would find like a concordance and a dictionary of words that I didn't understand. And I was just excited. Woo! I got the Bible, man. And I was just excited about it. And listen, I still feel this excitement about this book. I still feel it. I still can open the pages of it and discover something in this book that's inexhaustible and just get absolutely jacked. I spent two weeks of my vacation studying one chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I studied it for six hours a day. And my wife was like, are you going to do something else? And I was like, no, I'm on vacation, and I just discovered this cool thing in this chapter, and I just want to work it out. But I was pumped. And I want to give you some specific keys to rekindling and kindling your passion and enthusiasm for the word that these people had on this day of revival in Nehemiah. And here they are. First, realize the scriptures are from God. What if I told you that God had left you a message in your Facebook messenger? Or he, was, he had left you a message, he had texted it to you. Or in your email, wouldn't you go check it? I'd be checking it before I left if I knew it was from God. But God has left us a message. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is God-breathed. That means it comes from the mind of God given to the minds of men. It comes from him. It is a message for you. Don't you want to know what it says? Well, you should. I hope you're excited about that. I hope that gives you just a skip in your step to know that God has something to say about your life. Secondly, we must realize that the scriptures are the key to renewing our minds. Paul says God's word is inspired, but it's also useful. It isn't just this inspired book that we admire. It's an inspired book that actually works in our day-to-day lives. In Romans chapter 12, he says, don't be conformed to the the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is how we do it, with God's word. And that should give us a sense of excitement. Thirdly, the scriptures are the key to equipping us for service in the kingdom of God. The people who are most excited about the scriptures are the people who who are serving the body of Christ. Notice what he says in Romans 12. He says, never be lacking in zeal. And Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor hot as you serve the Lord. Notice that connection. Keep your spiritual fervor hot as you serve the Lord. Because it's the emptying principle. When you're emptied out, oh, that feeling of just being filled again. I haven't been in worship for a few weeks uh, for various reasons. And so when I came in this morning and... uh, we were worshiping God this morning. Oh, I just felt a feeling like I hadn't felt in weeks. It was great because I felt so emptied. I had just been so emptied out, and I just felt the Lord just filling me again. It's that principle, man. Empty your life out. Empty yourself out so God can fill you again. So it's critical for us, when it comes to the Word of God, to be excited, enthusiastic about it. Point number two, the second encouragement I want to give you to living with urgency in your faith is this. Be enthusiastic about worship. 
Let me read you this passage. So we go on. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, it says this. It says, Ezra opened the book in plain view of all the people, for he was elevated above all the people. When he opened the book, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And they all replied, Amen! Amen! As they lifted their hands and they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then the next part of it says, So all the people departed to eat and drink and to share food with others and to experience tremendous joy as they learned the scriptures in the context of worship. That's the key. Learning God's word in the context of adulation, adoring God, worshiping and praising the Lord. That's what gave them tremendous joy. Did you know some of the, some of the words or some of the descriptors in the, in the Old Testament that describe praising God are words like rejoicing, dancing, clapping, shouting, lifting your hands in adoration? And Isaiah prophesied this to the people. This is what Isaiah said would happen to them as they came back into the land and they were delivered from captivity. Here's what he said in Isaiah 55. You're going to go out with joy. Out from where? Babylon, Assyria. You will go out with joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst in a song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Why are they applauding? Because the people of God have been reconstituted, and they found their book. And they've been reacquainted with their God. And it's a day of celebration. And Isaiah was prophesying this day right here. He was prophesying this day right here. Worship enlarges our appetite for God. How do you enlarge your appetite for something? How do you do it? You eat a lot of it, (laughs) right? Like for me, I normally would like to eat a lot of pastries. And what I find is the more pastries that I eat, the more pastries that I want. Because I loves me some pastries. But I, don't, I can't eat that stuff anymore. But worship enlarges our appetite for God. Why? Because you're feasting on God, his presence. He's renewing you. There's an existential transformation that is happening at the heart level. And the more you worship, the more you enlarge your appetite for God. And the more you enlarge your appetite for God, the more spiritually healthy you become. Because the God is the key to your life. He is the key to your joy. He is the key to you having enthusiasm about everything in your life. So worship. Be pumped. Swallow your gum. Turn off your phone, open your mouth, and lift your voice to your God in worship. Amen? The third encouragement to living with urgency in our faith is this. Be enthusiastic about the application of truth. This is right here in the passage. A few verses down, it says, so here they are. They rediscovered their book. They're reading it and having Ezra teach them, and the scribes are teaching them day and night. They are worshiping the Lord Breaking out into revival. In verse 14, it says this. They discovered written in the Torah that the Lord had commanded them through Moses that the Israelites should live in temporary shelters during the the festival of the seventh month. You know what they found? They found the most awesome holiday vacation ever. 
It's written in their national constitution, my friend, that they are to spend seven days celebrating what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. You know what that was? That was the Feast of Camping Out. How many of you guys like to camp out? Okay, I'm not much of a camper. I, I like, if, 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 if there's an actual camper involved, I'm a camper. But uh, I don't really even like staying in trailers that much. My wife is like, why don't you like staying in trailers? I'm like, honey, I spent all my life trying to get out of the trailer, you know, and buy an actual home. I'm, I don't want to spend my weekends in a trailer just for, you know. So, um, so be enthusiastic about the application of truth. They discovered this amazing feast called the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Booths in which they set up these makeshift lean-tos, these tents, and they camped out all over Jerusalem, man, and they worshiped. It was a seven-day festival to the Lord. When they discovered this in the Torah, they immediately applied it. They said, well, let's do this. It's time. It's that time of year. Let's celebrate our seven-day national holiday. Wouldn't it be great if written in our American Constitution, there was like a seven-day day off where you just got to go camping and worship God? Wouldn't that be great? And it says in verse 17, so all the assembly which had returned from exile constructed these temporary tents or these camps and lived in them. And everyone experienced exceedingly great joy. They were pumped. People who only learn the Bible and go to Bible study and go to Sunday school and go to class, you know what they become? They become grumpy and cranky. They become cranky about their pet doctrines. And they want to argue with you about the pre-tribulational rapture because that's something that they found in the Bible. And you know what? If you check about half of the time, these people are not living the Bible out. People who live the Bible out, who apply the scriptures to their lives, those folks are the most enthusiastic about their faith because they are putting it into practice. And that's what these Jews did on this day. The Jews didn't just want to sit and take in and let Ezra teach them. They wanted to do what the word said to do. And when you and I get excited about application of truth, you'll never be more excited about your faith. Number four, the last encouragement to living and with a sense of urgency in our faith is this. Be enthusiastic about conforming your life to godliness. Nehemiah chapter 9 Verse 1, if you flip the page there to the next chapter, you'll see it says, On the 24th day of this same month, the Israelites assembled. And they were fasting and wearing sackcloth. Their heads were covered in dirt and dust. And those truly of Israelite descent, separated from all the foreigners, standing and confessing their sins and their iniquities, the iniquities of their ancestors... And they were required by Ezra, if you read the rest of the context, to separate from the people called the Amcha Aretz, or the people of the land. Who were the Amcha Aretz? Who were the people of the land? They were the pagans who were worshiping idols. They were the pagans who were assaulting Israelite faith. They were the pagans mixed into the land who would be responsible for a toxic belief system that would diminish their enthusiasm for God, their newfound enthusiasm. And this teaches us the principle of separation. Not that God wants to take us out of the world because he sure doesn't want to do that. God wants to live, us to live in the culture to influence it. But he wants us to separate from the values of the culture. 
He wants us to separate from the principles of the world, which can diminish our excitement and our zeal for our God. And I'm just going to tell you, listen, if you spend most of your week filling your tank full with the pablum and the junk of this worldly culture, and you spend almost no time, maybe Sunday morning is the only day when you actually even hear the Bible, you are diminishing your pump, your zeal, your enthusiasm for your God. You need this book. You need to saturate your brain in it. You need the presence of the Spirit of the Lord to counteract the toxic effects of a culture that is hell-bent on taking you to hell. You believe that? I hope you do, because it's real. I experienced this not too long ago. Uh, I, you know, I've been on a diet. I haven't lost any weight, but I have been on, you know, I've been really trying to watch what I eat. I've been working out a lot, and um, I've just been trying to get healthier, man. I look at my little kids, and I had a friend who died of a massive heart attack in his sleep at my age, at 43. So I've been, this has been very on my mind. So I've been trying to eat better. And so I come up to the kitchen the other night, and uh, Carrie, it was one of the kids' birthdays the next day, and she was making these little panda cupcakes. So there was these dark chocolate cupcakes and all these little uh, Oreo cookies that had been chopped in half, like a whole plate of them. And like all this other good stuff and all the ingredients are sitting there, the cupcakes are made, and I come up there and I'm just like, forbidden cupcake. <laughs> and I'm just looking at these cupcakes and, and my son, Tyler, just laughs and he goes, you want one of those, don't you, daddy? He could see the avarice in my eyes. And I said, um, yeah, but man, I can't eat that stuff anymore. He goes, why not? I go, son, you don't understand. At my age, I got, you know, and I explained to him, and I said, you want your daddy to live longer, don't you? He goes, yeah, dad, but don't you want your last moments to be filled with deliciousness? <laughs> and I said, well, since you put it that way, I ate like three of them. Or four, between four and six. I, I've, I lost count, but um, <laughs> man, the truth is, at my age, I really do have to be careful how I eat. I have to be careful what goes in my body because some of the stuff that I used to eat in my 20s without thinking about it, that stuff is toxic. That stuff will kill me. And the same is true spiritually, guys. The same principle applies spiritually. Some of the stuff, a lot of it, in high doses that you are getting from the culture in the world, that stuff will kill you spiritually. And what the people did in Nehemiah's day, in Ezra's day, is they repented of their sin. They put on this weird sackcloth and ashes and dust and spread them over their heads as an outward expression to show their God that they were turning from the idolatry and the sin of their past. You see, when you get into the Word of God and you get into the presence of God and you apply the Word of God, what happens is you begin to spirit, experience spirit conviction over your sin. He's not called the Holy Spirit for nothing because He, will, he wants to make you holy like your God is holy. He wants to clean up your act. And so what God wants us to do is separate ourselves from the values, the principles, and the practices of a culture that has gone mad with sin and lost its mind. And by the way, they don't know the direction. 
They don't know how to get to God. What are you following them for? Follow the word. Follow God, okay? So, in game for believers. Why all this? Very simple. Because God wants you to be like his son. If you're a believer in Jesus today, God wants you to be just like his son, Jesus. Until Christ be formed in us, Paul said in Galatians 4. God wants Christ, his son, to be formed in us. And if that's going to happen, then we've got to get excited. We have to have an urgency in our faith. We have to be excited about this message. As worshipers, we've got to be engaged with all of our hearts, with full-hearted devotion and worship. As Bible students, man, we have got to learn to apply this truth to our life. And as followers of Jesus, we have got to encounter a great joy as we live in conformity to God's standard and his values. That's how we live with an urgent faith. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this wonderful, ubiquitous book that you have given us. We are so thankful that it is so available, that it's everywhere, and that we could just download a copy of it on our smartphones. It's so amazing that we can have it anywhere and everywhere. And God, today, what we want to do as a congregation, like these believers in Nehemiah and Ezra's day, is we want to commit ourselves to you and to your word. We want to commit ourselves to following your word, to knowing your word in the context of passionate love and devotion and worship. And if that's you here today, will you just confess your need to turn up the burner on your excitement and your zeal for your God? Will you just tell God right now in your own words, that's me, God. I want that. I want to be on fire, a man on fire, moving with urgency in my faith for you. If you're here today, and some of this is new to you, but it's kind of, frankly, rung your bell, and you would like to know this Jesus that the rest of us know and are excited about, would you pray something like this with me? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner far from you. And today, I need to come back to the family. So I confess my sin, my need for Jesus as Savior, the fact that he rose from the dead on the third day, and today I choose to follow him with all of my heart, with excitement and enthusiasm, because the time is short. And I recognize that right now, God. In Jesus' name, thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen, guys. Hey, well, we're going to take the offering this morning. Usher's going to come forward, and we're going to sing, as we always do, one last worship song. This is our, this, this is our sort of informal liturgy. If you're here visiting for the first time, you realize I didn't have any shoes on. I just realized I didn't have any shoes on. I just got real comfortable in worship, so don't worry. It's biblical. Moses took his shoes off for worship, too. So um, if you want to kick your shoes off, we're going to worship one more time, and we're going to give uh, as an act of worship, too. Okay, let's, let's sing. All right. Hey, awesome. Great job, guys. Hey, listen, if you made a decision for Jesus, 
Uh, please uh, pick up one of these New Believers packets. It's on the table back there. And also take note of the Next Steps class and our First Steps class. There's an awesome book that you get in that to help you with your, with your walk with Jesus. We have communion on the sides. Prayer people down in front. If you need some prayer, come on down. Uh, God bless you guys. Hey, go live like people on fire, all right? On fire for your God. Have a great week.